So this world is a little crazy right now. Everything we do has been turned upside down. Where do we look to find the right way to move forward in this unpredictable time? God's word tells us that we are to live by faith and not by sight. But what does that mean? How do we live by faith and not what we see right in front of us in in this world, all around us? If we keep our eyes on the news for any length of time, we will see that our world is in an endless cycle of natural disasters, unstable economies, environmental catastrophes, political discord, and all the suffering that has been brought about because of the COVID pandemic. This long list gives us many, many reasons to think this world is headed downhill fast. The first thing to consider, really, is what we should not do. We can't get caught up in things that are completely out of our control. Instead, we need to focus our energy on the two things that we do have power over. You may be wondering, what are those two things? The two things that are completely in our power is where we put our attention and where we place our effort. So we focus our attention on God. We look to him for our direction, for the pathway that we're to to walk. We look around us and see the things that we're grateful for, the beauty of this world, family, friends. And after we get our heads right, we turn our focus on our efforts and our efforts towards doing good. Whatever we can do every single day to improve ourselves and to improve the lives of those around us. These small steps put us on the path and keeps us on the path of walking in faith. God's first and greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. In order to do this, we need to care for ourselves emotionally, spiritually, mentally, and physically. As an adult, it's our personal responsibility to check into each one of these areas and to make sure that we're living a balanced life. And if you're a parent, you have that added responsibility of helping your children walk with faith, walk healthily, (laughs) and to learn. We teach our children how to care for themselves physically by teaching personal hygiene, physical fitness, and proper nutrition. We teach our children... um, to improve their minds by providing educational opportunities and exposure to new things and new places so that their interest is piqued and they're curious and they investigate and they have their own inquiries. But what about tending to our souls? What about the souls of our children? How can we live by faith if we don't nourish our souls? When our son was about 10 or 11 years old, we, did, we purchased a Bible, and it was called a boy's Bible. Now, that Bible was actually the new international version, just like we usually have in the seats here in our sanctuary, but it highlighted areas in the Bible that supposedly were of interest to boys that age. Stories like when two bears came out of the woods and devoured um, these rowdy bunch of boys that were making fun of um, a man who was bald by calling him baldy. I loved using that when Spencer was here. <laughs> and and um, the bear, they didn't know that that was the prophet Elisha. The story about where the fingers appeared on the palace wall and, and wrote a story, wrote a, not a story, wrote a message to the king of that time. 
The story in the New Testament, the New Testament even has stories like that, where King Herod would not give glory to God, and so he was struck dead, and then the worms consumed him. And, it, and Matthew even tells the story of Jesus's, the whole story of Jesus's um, death and resurrection. It includes the part where the graves break open and the saints rise up and those bodies come to life and walk into the towns and cities. Now, I have to admit, those stories also appealed to my girls, but supposedly that was supposed to be what boys were interested in, and it appealed to my son. And then there is always a lot of battles, especially in the Old Testament, that had a lot of gore and also had a lot of strategy. Our son was into strategic strategic things. He loved chess. I played him until he beat me, which wasn't too long. (laughs) So one Bible book that's full of stories like this of warfare and violence is the book of Judges. So Judges is the seventh book in the Bible. It comes after um, Moses has led the people out of Egypt and Joshua has led the people into the promised land of Canaan. And then there's a 300-year span where judges rule. And the judges weren't just there to settle disputes. They were considered Israel's leaders. So during this time, um, there were, in the book of Judges, there's 12 different judges, six major, six minor. The six major are only called major because they have more ink in the Bible. There's more written about them. And there's a pattern of behavior that's set at the very first judge, and it just continues throughout the book. And unfortunately, with each judge, that even spiraled downward. The morality of the Israelites um, reduced. So every time the Israelites live by sight instead of by faith, when they want it to be like the surrounding nations, when they want it to fit in and do what's right in their own eyes, they sinned. When the people rejected God's way, God allowed them to do their own thing. That's free will. But there were consequences, like slavery and oppression. There was suffering. After enough suffering, the people would cry out with prayer or supplication. And the people committed themselves to live by faith. And after they suffered for a little while and repented and and offered supplication, God brought them salvation through a judge. So the cycle continued, sin, suffering, supplication, and then salvation. Among those judges, one judge that stands out is Deborah. She's one of the major judges. She was the fourth judge. She ruled before Judge Gideon. Many of you may know Judge Gideon from the Bibles that are placed in the hotel rooms. That comes from that. Some of you may think of Judge Samson, you know, the guy with long hair and lots of strength. So Deborah was the fourth judge. She was before both of those judges. And she came um, and lived her life by faith. She was also a prophet. So there's only two judges um, in the book, and the other one is is Samuel, and he's not even in the book of Judges. He has his own two chapters (laughs) that were also prophets. And so she ruled for 40 long years, and she was also this prophet. Prophets receive messages from God, mainly about future events, and then they're charged with delivering that message to people or a group of people. And so Deborah held court under a palm in Ephron, where the Israelites would come to hear her wisdom and to get disputes settled. And the cycle continues, and we can see this in the scripture during Deborah's reign. And so we're going to read that, starting with Judges 4, 1 through 3. Again, the Israelites 
did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now that Ehud was dead, Ehud was the previous judge, so there was sin. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor, suffering. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Harosheth, Haguyim. Because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried out to the Lord for help, supplication. So here we have a king who has a commander. The commander's name is Sisera, so we need to remember that. And, and that commander had chariots. And the canine chariots at that time were like the tanks of this time. So here they had 900 tanks or chariots, and the Israelites had zero, greatly outnumbered, so obviously an outmanned. So obviously the um, Canaanites ruled over the Israelites with a lot of power and took advantage of them. So God sends the help, sends help through Deborah, Judge Deborah. This is a salvation. So Deborah calls for the Israelites' military commander, who is Barak. So we have Sisera, and now we have Barak. And verse 6 and 7. She sent for Barak, son of Abnaman of Kadesh, in Naphtali, and told him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. So this is God speaking through Deborah. <laughs> Go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Barak thinks about this, and then he responds. Barak says to her, well, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't. Barak apparently has more faith in Deborah's human influence over the battle than he has in God's divine instructions. In this instance, we could say that Barak is living by sight, what he can see, what is tangible. Deborah immediately responds, Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. Now, keep in mind that we're talking about a very patriarchal society, very male-dominated. So to be in battle, a warrior, and to be slain by a woman is like a huge disgrace. And before we women get too upset about that and think, yeah, but that was in the 13th century BC, <laughs> um, long time ago, it's only been 72 years since the United States has declared that women could um, serve at full capacity in our armed services. Um, President Harry S. Truman's, which in this area we're all kind of familiar with, um, signed a declaration, it, well, an act, and it allowed, I'm trying to look for the name of it exactly, it allowed women to serve at full capacity. Um, prior to that, women could serve as nurses at full capacity, or they could volunteer clerically. And so this was changed. There was, a, I have a caveat, in World War II, there was a brief time that women were allowed to serve with full, in full capacity. Um, I thought it was okay to throw a little history in there since Veterans Day was this last week, and I know that was kind of random, but the verse we're going to read next is kind of random too. So <laughs> back to the verse. Um, verse 11. Now Heber the Kenite, Kenite had left the other Kenites, the descendant of Hobad, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the great tree in Zanadim, near Kadesh, 
And then moving forward with the battle strategy. So Sisera, the other guy, the commander, he finds out that Barak and Deborah have gone to Mount Tabor. And so he tells all his men to gear up, get their 900 chariots, we're going after them. And so he heads out. Remember, these chariots are fitted with iron, heavy iron. So verse 14, then Deborah and Barak said to Barak, go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down to Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Hargesheth Haggayim, and all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. So we find out in chapter 5, which don't worry, I'm not going to read that whole chapter to you, <laughs> but, but we find out in chapter 5 that Sisera had to flee on foot because it had rained. And you have to know that this was during the dry season. If Sisera, this, this knowledgeable commander that had built an army so big with these great big steel chariots, would have known that there would have been rain in the river, river basin, there's no way he would have taken his men there. This was the dry season. It wouldn't rain for months. But he went down there thinking that it wouldn't happen, and God worked a miracle. He turned an enormous advantage of these 900 steel chariots into a severe disadvantage of, of just heavy dead weight. They were stuck. The chariot stuck, and it was a slaughter. So Sisera is running on foot, and it just happens to come on to a Kenite tent. So remember the fact back in verse 11 that a Kenite tent was um, pitched? And there was a Kenite woman there named Jael, and it's pronounced Yael in Hebrew, but I'm an English speaker, so I'm going to say Jael. And she greets Sisera. Verse 18, Jael went to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and then covered him up. So Jael has tucked him in. And then Brock proceeds to give Jael an order. And then comes the surprise ending. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone there, say no. But Jael, Herbert's wife, picked up a tent pig and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. Then Jael stepped out of her tent and said, nailed it. No, that's not in the Bible. That's, that's not in the Bible at all. <laughs> so here's how the Bible narrative goes. Just then, Barak came in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Sisera, with the tent peg through his temple dead. On that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the Israelites, and the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they destroyed him. What piercing things did we learn about this story of Deborah? We learned that God equips whomever he desires for ministry. It doesn't matter if you're a woman or a man or a child, if you're young or if you're old. It's God that does that work. Some people will argue that the only reason Deborah became a leader 
was because there were no men around to lead. I find that hard to believe, and there's nothing in the Bible that says that. She led for 40 years as a wise and respected leader because of her God-given gifts and her willingness, her willingness to live by faith. Deborah put her attention on God by listening to him, knowing his word, and she put her effort in doing good. She obeyed what God told her to do. She, she listened to him. She took the words that God gave her and delivered them to the people that needed them um, to be heard. So how do we translate this story that happened thousands and thousands of years ago to our present day? The theme is the same, is that we are called to live by faith and not by sight. We accomplish this the same way Deborah did. We put our attention on God. There's other Bible verses that support this. We listen before speaking or acting. We know God's word. That means we study God's word. And second, we, we place our effort in doing good by one, obeying God's word. Love your neighbor as yourself and courageously doing God's work. God only needs our availability to make an impact for good. And each one of us, our impact is going to be different because we have different gifts and graces, and we're all in different places in our lives. We all have different responsibilities. So I was thinking about this, and I thought, well, where have I seen people walking in faith? And I just look at last week, when I came here to church, this week alone, I know that there is a prayer group that gathers and prays for all of you, our community, and for each other. I know there's Bible study groups that gather to learn God's work. I know that there's, um, when I walked in here Thursday, there was a whole pile of, of things like a diaper genie and a car seat and toys just piled up by the baby grace. And now the young parents that brought this, those in here to, to give them forward, they could have sold them online. They could have made some cash for themselves, but they chose to, to give that to baby grace. I know yesterday there was a woman and a teenager that, that loaded those things up and drove them to baby grace. I know that when I came in here on Thursday too, um, Pastor Adam's door was closed because he was closed in his office, which is quite a thing for him to do, <laughs> to not be around people for seven hours on a Zoom meeting, meeting with the, um, I just know the acronym, but it's the Board of Ordained Minister, Ministers for um, Missouri, meeting so we know where to go, what to do, the leadership of our church. I stand here looking out at you. You're all gathered here for worship. You've taken time. You're available. I think of our musicians who willingly come and volunteer to play so we can sing praises. All of these are examples of faith. I um, invite you to continue your walk in faith or start your walk in faith. God only needs our availability to make an impact for God. Now is the time to embrace God's call, putting our focus on him and our efforts towards his own goodwill. Amen. Please join me in prayer. Our holy and gracious God, we come to you, your children, broken, imperfect, knowing that you will use us if we are only available. Lord, help open our eyes, motivate our hands and feet, 
that we can be who you intend us to be, using our unique gifts and graces to bring glory and praise to you and your ways. Lord, help us to put that one foot in front of the other, take that next step, so that we can be strong, that we can be united, that we can be just your soldiers for for good, Lord. God, we love you, and we want to be your people. And it is through Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross that we were able to come to you. And we thank you for all that you do for us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.